0: Hey, this is Ruben, and nobody asked me to do this. What up, y'all? This is Joe, and nobody asked me to
1: do this.
2: Yo, my life be like a bad dream. Could have swore I woke up. If I married my religion. Now I'm pretty sure we broke up. And now my family tow up. Hostage like a hold up. I'm thinking, damn, when that common sense supposed to show up. I decided to grow up, stop believing fairy tales. I was on a slave boat. Now that ship is really sailed. Daddy told me very well. Now my life will live in hell. I left the W's, they figured out and took it hell. I told my friends, and I cannot say they took it well. I'm looking at them thinking, damn, y'all ain't looking well. Every time I I look up, they see me and be looking down I'm looking back at them thinking y'all a bunch of clowns Big brain couldn't fit it in the box They told me control the thoughts If I see him, we gon' box I'm saying it's on sight For freedom, I'm down to fight Just to be authentic and live a real life Hey yo, my family don't acknowledge my existence I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business I'll never make them proud That's just what I gotta live with I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business No longer own their contacts now I'm on the hit list I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business I lost everybody I ever knew As a witness I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business They said I had the truth, why'd I trade it for the world? When my answer is freedom I wouldn't trade it for the world Man, it's precious like a pearl, my understanding is thorough They told me how to think, man That make me wanna hurl After all the suppression and depression, I learned a lesson I'd rather have questions I can't answer Than answers I can't question Steady making confession, the man forgot God's blessing, thinking eternal future instead of living in the present. Don't regret it for one second, I no longer come second. No looking to the sky, I'm creating my own blessings. I finally see the God in myself, and what I needed, I just got it myself. I don't rely on the help. If I get it, it's a bonus. On myself, I put the onus. I'm knowing they don't condone this. They would rather see me homeless in the witness than woke. and self sufficient, hoping I might come back for my siblings, knowing I'm missing. And yo, my family don't acknowledge my existence. I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business. I'll never make them proud. That's just what I got to live with. I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business. No longer on their contacts. Now I'm on the hit list. I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business. I lost everybody I ever knew as a witness. I'm thinking, hey, that's the cost of doing business. Fifth.
0: Welcome back to Nobody Asks Us To Do This, an ex-Jehovah's Witness podcast. On this episode, we had the privilege of interviewing one of my new favorite artists, Cliff Henderson the Fifth, a.k.a. Fifth, was a Jehovah's Witness and was baptized at a very young age, like most of us from that organization. Fifth has a new album where he documents this journey in a way that I can only describe as brilliant. Cliff, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, very, very glad to be with you guys, man. Ruben, Joe, thank you guys for having me on.
0: Nah, man, thank you for coming on. You have a new album called One Year Old. Like where'd yeah. that name come from?
2: Yeah.
3: So the the idea behind um, One Years Old and I spelled it with the it has the, the S on the years okay. uh, just to kind of give the kind of the childlike quality of it. But the idea basically comes from coming out of the Jehovah's Witness religion in, in my late 20s and basically just kind of having to. Learn a lot of things that maybe a lot of other people learned at a younger age or different experiences that I would be having for. For the first time, it was kind of a running joke between me and a friend of mine. Every time I would do something for the first time, whether it was my birthday or doing whatever, he'd always be like, "Man, you one years old." And that was kind of the, <laughs> that was kind of the idea. So every he kept saying that over and over. So I was like, "Man, I guess that's just the theme of my life now." You know, until I start start figuring out what's going on. So it's just kind of the innocence or just the the ignorance that that you have when you kind of come out of an environment like that. But then also just kind of maintaining that that childlike quality of you know i don't know everything mm-hmm. and so you know I'm, i am I want to learn and i want to just keep growing so that's kind of the the idea you know i think there's there's two sides to it you know there's definitely i think a positive side because when you when you get to a point where you feel like, you know what, I, I have all the answers and, you know, I know everything that I think that can kind of land you back in the same position you were in before when you thought you knew everything and you were a Jehovah's Witness. Right. So I'm, I try to, like, keep that same you know mindset to where, like, I'm just open minded. I'm open to other people's experiences and other people's perspectives on things. Was that
0: humbling for you? Because I felt the same way. Like I, I've i been out yeah. for nine years and I remember telling someone like I'm like nine years old in this world. But as soon as right. I said that out loud, it was like a humbling feeling.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I think for me, it was pretty obvious for me when I first distanced myself from the Jehovah's Witness religion. I, you know, I was actually disfellowship, And once that happened and then kind of at the same time, kind of deciding that I wouldn't go back. It was pretty obvious to me that there was a lot of growth that I still had to do, just to be able to kind of maneuver in in the regular world and and kind of outside of this bubble. So yeah, it was definitely humbling from the beginning, and it continues to you know to be that way. And I just try to you know just try to be open to to learning all the lessons that I can, basically, and and, and open and embracing the the process of, of growing.
1: That is the theme of the whole album. It's very clear. You talk about bettering yourself use growth a lot and you also use the word evolution you're constantly changing you're constantly growing so what you're saying right now is exactly what every song in the album highlights
3: i was trying to accomplish a couple of things number one i wanted this to you know for this to be my introduction i wanted to kind of like lay the foundation for you know kind of what i've been through and where i'm at and that kind of thing and i wanted there to be kind of continuity and, and kind of a theme throughout so that's basically how these you know songs the the song the seven songs that are on the album that's how they ended up getting selected
0: so i was going to ask you like there are seven tracks on the album so is there yeah. any significance to that was it you know to represent anything like you know how growing up seven men, yeah. like perfection and completeness Trust.
3: Right, man. That's interesting. That's the first time I've ever gotten that question, and I've, I've never even thought of that. Oh, so wow. I, that's that's going to be a no. But man, I wish I would have been <laughs> going for something like that because that sounds pretty cool.
1: Yo, Cliff, we were jo- uh, we were joking before, and I was like, we were talking about speaking with you. We were joking around, yeah. and, and I said maybe he had six songs. He's like, nah, man, that's not enough. I need one more, man. It needs to be complete. Seven complete.
3: <laughs> man, that's hilarious. No, no, I, I didn't even. I didn't even. Think about that i i think i was originally going for more songs but they, it just didn't it didn't fit but yeah maybe from now on that's what i'm gonna start saying you We're know saying
0: nice. so
3: first up, the next one
0: i love the album like every song i can relate to um it's like Appreciate i understand it. representation how that matters like seeing this extra witness out there doing his thing like right. was there a method to the order of the songs like when i listened to it it felt like a story like cost of business was the beginning and by the yeah. time i get to want to live which is my favorite song on the album it just felt like you were describing your journey
3: that same friend who you know kind of came up with the one years old thing from i kind of um i kind of bounced things off of him just because he's just a he's just a connoisseur of of, of rap like he really you know he, there's some people who listen who you know listen to music and are really able to kind of break down all the nuances and he's just one of those guys so like when when I, I had him listen to the songs and stuff like that, and he kind of like helped me to, between the two of us came up with the order. But yeah, that's basically the, the the idea. Cost of doing business is is kind of, you know, the beginning there, there's a method, there's definitely a method to, you know, to the order of, of the songs. And and then that's why at the end, you know, thankful I'm trying to reflect on, you know, the the growth that I have made and, you know, just being, being uh, happy about that and and trying to have a positive outlook.
1: I just wanted to say too about that song "Still Alive." I really appreciated it because your whole album is about evolution and growth, and is very positive. But you also, with that song, you're keeping it real. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying that it's a cycle. Like I I like in the song, it talks about mood and how that can you could be good one day, and then like he said, even in the middle of the song, I could I could be in another mood. But the whole idea is that it's okay to be. In that state, it's okay to be depressed or sad or yeah. have those kind of feelings, as long as yeah. you're always moving forward.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and that that line that you said that was from the artist that's featured on the song, whose name is P. Black. He has a, a very interesting story as well. He's you know not a not an Jehovah's Witness or anything, but he, you know he's had some interesting uh, experiences. He talked about it uh, in the song that his his dad died. And, you know, how how he reacted when his dad died, he found out his dad died and he just went right back to sleep, you know. So I, I think it's just representative of we come we come to the song with two very different experiences. But there's a lot of overlap, you know, and there's a lot of just just humanity being kind of expressed on the song. I think that's something that both of us try to do in our music. We try to. You know that's why it, it resonates i think with people right just try to try to keep it real and, and and express these emotions that that people can you know people can relate to
0: it says you were baptized at nine i was reading the, uh, the yeah. source article uh so what type of jehovah's witness were you like bible boy very chill overzealous.
3: let me see <laughs> i guess it depends on what circle of people i was i was around I guess overzealous may may fit it, but my whole family, you know, so there's there's five kids and then my parents. And at one point for a stretch of several years, all seven of us were regular pioneers. Wow. So like, you know, that that's kind of just what I come from family wise. So I guess overzealous will be in the, the eye of the beholder. Right. In my family, I was just regular. I, I was at the headquarters for a little over, you know, a year in uh, Walk Hill, New York. I was in three total different language. I was in English. I was in Spanish and I was in Portuguese. That's actually when I got this fellowship, that I had been in Portuguese for three years um, and I was in Spanish for eight. So, you know, and I, my sister and my brother, they went to the Dominican Republic and, and that's kind of who I was always around. So when I was as a Jehovah's Witness, I was I was very I, I would be around the people with aspirations of being circuit overseers and and that kind of Crowd of Jehovah's Witnesses. So I, I guess the fanatical, you know, I guess you could say like the more fanatical or the more, you know, people who really wanted to always find more ways to give of themselves in the organization. You know, largely probably because of just feeling guilty. You're always kind of made to feel guilty or that you're not doing enough and that kind of thing. Even when you're at these different levels of whether it's Bethel or, you know, whatever it is, it's always like, yeah, but you could be doing this. You know, and so yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of like where that's who I will surround myself with because I felt like that's what that's what I was supposed to be doing.
0: So being that overzealous Jehovah's witness, like how did you uh-huh. get away with listening to rap? Like was it the clean yes. versions? Or did you get the hottest
3: versions?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's
3: a that's that's kind of an interesting, I, I think, like nuance to my story, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I describe kind of the crowd I was around, but we also we would listen to rap, but it would be like we wouldn't have like full albums. We might like listen to what's on the radio, and then it would all, if we did have like an album or something, it was always a clean version. And then there were certain songs that we would just skip because they were just too explicit, even in a clean version. For, you know, what we were trying to do. So, yeah, I just I think I've always just had a fascination with it. Like I went I went a long time without listening to rap at all. um when I filled out the Bethel application to serve at the Watchtower headquarters, at least back then, that used to be on the application specifically. Do you listen to rap, heavy metal or any other music inappropriate for Christians? I remember the wording, too. Uh, Ooh, it's pretty, pretty wow. specific. That's interesting. I- yeah. So. Knowing that that was on the application, and knowing that that's that's what my goal was to 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 go there, I actually you know so that I could a- answer the question honestly. Again, this gives you kind of an insight into what type of you know Jehovah's Witness I was. It the the question is: Have you listened to rap, heavy metal, or any other music inappropriate for Christians in the last year? So I actually the year before I applied, I just stopped listening to rap. Oh, wow. You know what I mean, just so I could answer that question. And, and not be wondering if I'm lying or if Jehovah's gonna try to like embarrass me. So yeah, it was kind of a, it was an interesting relationship with rap because I, I discovered at an early age that I kind of had an ability for it. A video on my YouTube channel called In My Own Words, I kind of describe being in school and when there was like a presentation for a project in school, I would like present it in a rap form sometimes. Like it was just kind of weird. It's just one of those things that I just like was fascinated with the art. And so I even like freestyled a little bit. Like when I was in high school, I used to like freestyle battle and I would do it without cursing, without, you know, saying anything Uh, about guns or sex or, you know, whatever. So it was like trying to thread the needle of like, okay, I want to win this battle. But I'm still like, you know, it was like I was I felt like I was always kind of trying to walk that line, especially when it came to to an art form such as rap music that lends itself to so many things that would have been off limits, you know what I mean? Yeah. As, a, as a Jehovah's Witness, is trying to like really abide by the rules. So it was interesting.
1: How, how young were you when you started? When you've discovered, you said you were young, but how old were you approximately when you knew you had this kind of gift?
3: I feel like I made my first song, I may have been like 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, something like 12 years old. I remember specifically being in the seventh grade and we were – it was like health class or something and we had to do research on drugs. And I literally like, you know, you presented to the class and I remember in seventh grade, I made these like, what's it called? Like, went like, like parodies almost of like well-known songs, but I would do it about like, don't do drugs. You know what I mean? Like it was like, (laughs) it was corny. It was, it was, it was really corny, but like, you know, it was just, it was, that was the only way that I had to kind of like use that ability that I had. So I would basically just kind of do stuff like that. So yeah, like I'll say like, 12 and then i even i made like a little kind of fake album just for myself when i was like 15 about nothing you know like it was about nothing but you know i was just try to always stay within the confines of you know what i was able to kind of talk about kind of thing so uh, that's the great thing about right now, you know. I don't have any of those restrictions. I just oh, talk about yeah, whatever, you know, and the creativity where I'm able to go as an artist is is completely different than what I was trying to do before.
0: So, who were your major influences growing up?
3: As far as rap, so Tupac for sure. Jay Z was another big one, which a lot of people usually, I feel like people either like Tupac or Jay Z, kind of. Yeah, thing, but, Especially from <laughs> but, West Coast man. East Coast yeah, West Coast? you didn't take a side. Yeah, well, I mean, I picked a side on the Tupac Biggie thing, but oh. uh, you know, and not to upset anyone, but, you know, this is just where I'm from and you, know, you have to understand my environment to a degree. But when I really started appreciating the art and the double entendres and the plays on words and all of that, Jay-Z was the artist I was listening to at that at that time. Like the first album that I ever had was uh, Reasonable Doubt, which I'm sorry, not Reasonable Doubt. Um, it was blueprint, which is, uh, one of Jay-Z's albums came out in 2001, I believe. And, uh, so I remember just listening to that and just like, wow, man, like how he's putting stuff together. I think Tupac is a different kind of artist, you know, like the stuff that he talks about. I I appreciate them both for kind of different reasons. But as when you get, you talk about the crazy wordplay and the double meanings and all that kind of stuff that was more Jay-Z for me, you know, and that's kind of where I got, um, you know, that I started appreciating that aspect of of, of rap. But, you know, out those those would be my my top two for sure. Um, and then outside of that, man, I liked liked a lot of uh artists being from, from the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, E forty, uh some of the people in Jay-Z's camp like state property, you know, Beanie Siegel and some of these guys. I I just always liked lyrics and, and bars, you know, so I, I kind of became more of a fan of those types of artists those who would kind of qualify as lyricists so man no wu-tang wu-tang fan at all so i think wu-tang was a little bit by the time i started really paying attention i don't i think wu-tang's Era, if you will, was like maybe you know probably more on the back end. I think, Coming to the end, he's calling you old. calling Yo, Yo, you He's calling you No, just no, not at all, not at all. I'm going back. No, I'm... <laughs> uh, <It's laughs> I had to, the Wu Tang stuff. Bro. I knew, I know now. <laughs> I had to like go back and and get that. You know, it, it just it just it just happens to be that's when I started paying attention. Like. Even even Tupac, like I didn't really know any Tupac stuff until after he died, and I started going back, you know, to okay. a lot of stuff. So like, yeah. you know, that's kind of what happened. No man, you're a young man, you young man.
1: Hey,
0: for me, my first album, uh, the first album I bought was the Purple Tape. Like that's when I fell in love with hip
3: hop, uh, okay. and
0: I had to hide that so my father wouldn't uh, flip out. Crazy thing is, my you. father found my Wu Tang collection. He was okay with it. Uh, really? Yeah, he was. He was like, what he did was. He had me talk to a younger brother at the hall, um, uh-huh. a elder, to try to like convince me that rap was bad.
3: He mm. didn't
0: flip out until he found my Metallica album.
3: Oh, and wow. Okay. He was
0: like, that was devil music. That, I'm oh, like, my God. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you listen? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I can only imagine.
0: <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> hey, what was the dynamic in your congregation like? Like, was it mixed?
3: You mean like racially speaking? Yeah, racially speaking. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say my congregation was pretty diverse. If I had to pick one race that was probably the most prevalent, it was probably black and then Hispanic. It was very minority, I guess. Like there were a few white people, but it was very, very few geographically where I'm from. That's just kind of how it's that's kind of how the makeup is. A lot of Filipinos, you know, some Asian, but yeah, primarily black and Hispanic.
1: And you were in a Spanish congregation (laughs) for a while, too.
3: Yeah. So I went to, I was in, um I moved to a Spanish congregation when I was 17 and I was in Spanish until I was like 25, I think. Even, even when I was in Bethel the headquarters, I was, I was in the Spanish congregation. So I just kind of like, when I was 15, I started going to the meetings with a friend of mine, uh, this guy that was in my, in my class or whatever. And he was a witness. That was another thing I kind of discovered early on that I kind of had a a thing for for language and I, you know i was learning it and i was getting encouraged even by my teachers like man it looks like you're picking it up faster than than some you know other students or whatever so i was like okay cool i didn't know anything that i was good at up until that point so i kind of just it was it was kind of an academic exercise, you know, for me, uh, as well as like trying to say, like, okay, well, I can do more in this ecosystem, in this Jehovah's Witness ecosystem by learning this language and going to different countries and stuff like that. So yeah.
1: How okay. were you received in the Spanish congregation? Just just curious. I mean, I remember I remember <laughs> some uh brothers coming yeah. to the congregation that weren't Hispanic and they were yeah. learning and they to serve as they mm-hmm. say, how did you feel received by them?
3: You know, I, I think I know what you're getting at. I, I, um, there was very little like hate or people like, mm, what's this dude doing there? If I'm being honest, like it wasn't really too much of that. Cause I think, you know, like I said, when I started showing up, I was 15. And I think people saw like, I was commenting. I was one of those, like, you know, mm-hmm. I was like picking it up fast. I was like walking around with a notebook. For the most part, I think people had had a good impression um, of me and I think I was I was well received. But it doesn't mean I didn't hear some things (laughs) said sometimes. I was like, oh, you know, I think uh, sometimes when when you have a group of people that's never been around somebody from another group, then, you know, (laughs) They they may not either you know they think they have to interact a certain way or they may say certain things that you're like well that was kind of off but I you know I think that happens with a lot of I think it's just a, a uh, um, consequence of just not being around certain people right so you just kind of you you just believe maybe what's on what you see on TV or yeah. you know whatever you've been told that kind of thing but for the most part like I didn't I didn't have I didn't have issues in every in every right. regard
1: you were you yeah. were un hermanito espiritual.
3: Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, sir.
1: Very cool. And yep. and and the music. Was there any influences? When did did you listen to Spanish music at all?
3: Yeah, I was really. I would say, um, I, I was a bachatero at one point in my life. Uepa. I, mean, you know, I like. Yeah, like the like bachata music comes from the DR and and I I guess you could also say New York because they put their Mm -hmm. own spin on it and different things. But we would go to the parties or whatever little the Jehovah's Witness parties and they (laughs) the Spanish music, um, where I was from, they did they play even though it was predominantly Mexican as far as like the nationality that made up the majority of the Spanish congregation, but bachata was very popular you know that yes. was like that's what that's kind of became the cool thing in my area more so than like mexican music so i even went to like i don't know if your listeners know like some of the guys who were big back then but like your romeo santos yes. and your um uh aventura and, and mm-hmm. prince royce and all that like i actually went to some shows and stuff like that back in the day so i i did you know i i've kind of removed from it now just because i just haven't really had occasion to to listen to it or, or dance it as much uh but uh, but, yeah, I was really, really big into into that kind of music for sure. Cool. 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 Yeah. That's,
0: that's good to know. <laughs> that's yeah.
3: Hey,
0: So Definitely. what was the circumstances for you leaving the organization? Like what woke you up?
3: I was having doubts. Some some different things happened that made me question some things. I had some you know friends that walked away from it who were just as overzealous, as you might say, as, as I was. And they suddenly just decided they said, you know, this isn't true. And they walked away from it. So like, you know, when you have people that leave on under those conditions, it kind of makes you raise an eyebrow. You can understand people like, okay, well, this person had sex and got in trouble. And that's just like a normal, you know, kind of a normal thing. Right. But it doesn't mean that the religion isn't true. But when people start leaving for other reasons, even though none of them even told me all of their reasons, they just would say it's not true. And, you know, I had. I had this this friend that I was at Bethel with that was an elder that was in, you know, the Brooklyn Heights congregation, which has like three governing body members in it. And he ended up saying, nah, this is false. And he just walked away like, was, you know, so when that stuff started happening, when I'm when I'm already having things that I'm struggling with as far as my beliefs push me in that direction. So basically what ended up happening is I ended up watching Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and, you know, he was like, hey, I heard uh, Jeffrey Jackson is on, you know, you can find him on YouTube defending the organization. That was the Australian Royal Commission. So I was like, "Okay, this is Jehovah giving me something to strengthen my faith. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So I watched it. Oh, wow. and I was like, Whoa. Opposite. The
0: opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I was like, I'm in such a worse, worse position right now than I was before I watched it. You know, that's what I was thinking at the time. Cause like it was just, it was terrible. You know, it was, it was just really, really bad. So anyway, that, that happened. You know, I was being prepared to be an elder. I was being groomed to be an elder and I was going on shepherding calls and, you know, I, some things about that that was kind of strange. I went on one shepherding call where, you know the 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 lady, the sister, said she was having doubts about the organization and the way the elder kind of dealt with it was just kind of like whoa. You know he didn't address it really. And anyway, some some different things like that that were happening. It was just kind of one thing on top of another. And eventually, I just like I got very depressed and something was telling me that something was wrong, even though I didn't know anything else. But I was like, man, something's wrong here. And eventually, I just stopped going to the meetings started hanging out with a girl. My dad knew that I wasn't going to the meetings and eventually he talked to me and he's like, Hey man, you know, maybe you should give it another chance. Like I started thinking like, okay, okay, maybe, you know, maybe Satan is tricking me because I was, you know, I would always try to be on the up and up. When I went back, the first thing I did was say like, Hey, that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go, start going back to the meetings, but I've done this basically kind
0: of thing. Yeah.
3: And, you know, just really trying to be, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm only going to do it if like the way I was thinking, Jehovah's not gonna accept me trying to come back if I don't like come clean, you know, thinking yeah, you like, okay, come ma- full, Correct. Right, right, exactly. So that's what that's what I did, you know. And it was kind of like, wait a minute, you said you did what? Right? That was the only thing like that was focused on. It's not about like, you know, I've been praying at Jehovah because I have all these doubts and the governing body started to throw me off with some of their head. It's like, wait a minute, what what happened? How many times? You know, wow. so that's basically what happened. And so I ended up getting this fellowship, you know, off of that. And I was thinking after I got, you know, and so at, the, at that point, I hadn't done any research. I hadn't I was still scared to death of apostates, even though I didn't know, like what I was going to do or what I believed in. But I was, you know, I, I still had that built in. Um, and I started once I got this fellowship, I started going back to the meetings at that point because I was like, OK, maybe maybe i got a, a clean conscience now or what you know even though that really had nothing to do with really anything but that's you know it's just you try to convince i was trying to convince myself i always I always say to people i was trying not to wake up i was trying really hard not to wake up you know yeah. it's like because it's inconvenient and like i i i i needed this to be true right because if this is not true then there's a lot of terrible implications to that you know from Not going to college and all these other different things, right? So I didn't really want to accept that. So I was going to the meetings after I got this fellowship, and I think being disconnected from people constantly telling you, you know, things, you know, positive things about the organization, it became really obvious very fast that, like, this is weird, bro. Like, now that I'm not involved (laughs) in this and I'm just attending and looking around and Listening to what these guys are laughing, what they find funny and like it's just weird, man. This is just a weird (laughs) group of people. Right. So like I finally, like two weeks into it, after going to the meetings, there was even one time I went to the meeting and like what literally just walked out because I was like, man, something is off here. But again, hadn't done any research. So like after a couple of weeks. I went ahead and I went online, you know, I went on Wikipedia and I just started looking up criticism of the organization. I thought that would be like safer. It's kind of like a neutral site or whatever. And then I kept seeing um, Ray Fran's book uh, mentioned Mm -hmm. crisis of conscience. And eventually I was just like, man, I I have to either, I got to figure it out one way or the other, man. Like I'm nothing, I'm not going to shake this feeling like it's, you know, I need to get this resolved. So I just, I had to like build up the courage, you know, and if your listeners know, like you really do have to build up something to be able to even crack open one of these publications so once i opened it man i couldn't put it down and i it was it was super obvious to me like i didn't even have to be because i was at bethel so some of the names he was mentioning i recognized some of those names you know what i mean like like i i've seen some of these people some of these people and i you know you know about some of these people or whatever so you know you started looking at everything and you you kind of get the you can just it's it's pretty clear that this is just you know the guy who wrote it, Ray Franz he was this very sincere guy, and he just got pushed out because he wasn't with their program once i you kind of realize that you're like, oh man, there's no holy spirit like <laughs> they're just they're just making you know they're just, making it up, they're just making it up as they go, and there is conjecture you know and they and they're just guessing and they're like ruining people's lot you know there was this there was this one story in the book where this guy was uh i guess i guess this guy this witness guy wrote in because he didn't he didn't have um he couldn't use like his you he know paralyzed. he couldn't have sex with his wife or something like that yeah he was paralyzed he wrote from the waist in, down. i remember that say it again he was paralyzed, he was paralyzed from paralyzed. the waist down exactly yeah he yeah. was paralyzed and he's like you know can can i do oral sex and it was like no Basically. And it's like, I was like, why would they do that? You know, that's like, that's so messed up. Like this is, you know, this guy's like, he's trying to be faithful to Jehovah, but he's like, he doesn't see a reason, right? There's not really a biblical reason. And then that's, I'm like, wow, they're just, they're really just coming up with these things, these kind of frivolous rules or whatever. And it's really ruining people's lives. And The organ transplant thing, right, where they said you can't have organ transplants. And then now all of a sudden you can have organ transplants. Well, what about all of those faithful Jehovah's Witnesses that died trying to, you know, trying to follow what they thought was coming from God? And then you guys just switched it.
0: You hear about the interfaith album that just came out where somebody took a kingdom song and they gave them the permission to use a kingdom song on this interfaith album.
3: I, I heard about that. I know John Cedars made a video uh, on it. I haven't had the chance to watch it yet, but uh, yeah, I, I need, I have to catch up on that. But yeah, yeah, I know they're doing, they're doing all kind of crazy stuff.
0: And I was going to say, you just see what they do for the money. Like as soon as right. you start to Google, you see why they tell you not to use Google, to use exactly. only org.
3: Right.
1: Cliff, I got to say, I totally relate to a lot of what you're saying. I had yes. somewhat, not exactly that experience, but uh-huh. somewhat similar experience and that I left a short time before okay. and I was kind of like not active and then stuff happened. But one of the things I did was read that book. And it's mm-hmm. like exact that feeling that you were describing <clears throat> uh, Ray Fran's book. You read it and you're like, this is not a lie. This is, right. this is so plain and obvious. If you are enough time in organization, even if you're not in Bethel, you know, it's all true. Yeah. I remember a witness found out I was reading the book. He was like, how do you know that's not a lie? I'm like, no. are you kidding me? Just read it. If you read it, you will know it's not a lie. Right. It's, he has so much documentation in there, letters, just articles that they themselves printed. It's, exactly. it's when you're ready to see it <laughs> that you see it. And it sounds like right. you got to a point where you were just ready.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I, I kind of say, and I don't, I'm not saying this in a good or bad way or in a different way, but I honestly don't know if I hadn't gotten disfellowshipped if I would have ever looked at that. I think it kind of took that for me to kind of be disconnected and kind of be in a desperate place in life where I was like, man, I have to, I'm kind of forced to figure this out because otherwise the other alternative would be getting, getting reinstated. Which I knew I could have done. I mean, the only reason I was disfellowshipped is because I was telling on myself. So yeah. you know, like I, I definitely <laughs> could, knew what I had to do to get reinstated. So it was just kind of like, all right, if I'm gonna do this, I'm only gonna do it if it's like legit. And so I, I kind of was forced to look at it. And I'm glad I did. A lot of consequences, obviously, for that. I haven't spoken to my, you know, family or anything. But and I'm, I don't say that lightly. But I'm just saying, like, I still wouldn't, I wouldn't have it. To where I was still in there pretending like this makes sense when it doesn't.
0: One of the lines in the cost of doing business, you said I told my friends, and I cannot say they took it well. Like right. you talked, did you talk to friends that used to go to the hall or you went to the hall with?
3: So I, I had an initial conversation with some friends when I was like getting disfellowshipped, and I was telling them that I was, I was kind of having questions because, because remember in the story that is, I was having some doubts some pretty strong doubts, even at that time. That's what led to me not going to the meetings and then, you know, hanging out with the girl or whatever. So I had that conversation, but then there was also kind of the follow-up because the idea obviously was like, okay, well, I'm fellowship, but like, I'm going to get my stuff together and, you know, take this time to strengthen my relationship with you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so then I wrote emails and texts to, to different ones and said, Hey, you know, I think I was right the first time when I was having my questions about this thing. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to come back because I don't, I don't believe it. And uh, yeah, there were some who just didn't respond. There were some who just like, you know, Satan has gotten you. I can't believe you let Satan get to you and whatever. So yeah. So it was, it was definitely not a positive reaction for (laughs) me from anyone. So that's kind of what I was addressing in the song.
1: And your, and your family, You say they don't acknowledge your existence. Right. And that's literal. Yeah. Like they really don't talk to you at all.
3: Not at all. Nope. There's no contact whatsoever. And it's been uh, four and a half. Wow. It's it's going, time is going fast. It's been four and a half years. It was April 2016 um, when I was disfellowshipped. And then it was like May when I (laughs) started writing those letters to people, like, you know without trying to convince anybody that I was right or anything, but just telling them like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's true.
1: As Joe would say, you are keeping it high level. Yeah,
3: definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: when did you decide to put out the
3: album? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that has to be explained, right? Like how do you get from one, one thing to the other? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a big (laughs) leap. I mean, in a short time, four years, I'm like, that's impressive. I'm very impressed.
3: I appreciate it. Yeah. I, it's, um, you know, like I said, it was kind of one of those things that I've always uh, been attracted to since I was younger. And then it kind of was, I was just kind of at a stage in life where it was kind of like, I might as well just do what I, you know, do what I want to do, right? Like, I'm I'm just going to, you know, make music. And the the, the plan, it was never really with the idea of like, I'm going to make a, I'm going to be an XJW rapper specifically. Like I'm going to be talking the same stuff that i would talk about in my activism you know about the experience of jehovah's witness but it, you know I, I the other side of that is one thing i've always appreciated about rap music whether it was the jay-z's or the Tupac or whatever is they would talk about whatever was authentic to them yeah right so like i was never a drug dealer or in a gang or nothing but i could still relate to you know people speaking whatever their authentic truth was right so that's kind of what i brought to my music i just this is i know this is not it's not common for this to be talked about in a rap song in fact i don't know if i've ever heard it but this is my story and that's all that's the only thing i'm gonna i'm willing to do you know as far as the music is concerned is is just you know uh talk about talk about what's what's true to uh to me so basically um you know i had kind of been playing around with it a little bit ever since i left like kind of uh making songs just kind of for my own entertainment or maybe to share with like one or two other people or something like that. Found out about this guy that I went to school with that was an engineer. You know, he he mixed and mastered uh, music for some relatively like well-known artists in the Bay Area. And I knew, you know, I had access to him. He didn't live too far away. So I was just like, well, okay, well, let me try to record it professionally, you know? And it was like, let me try to Secure beats and all of this kind of stuff. And then it was just kind of like one thing led to another. I didn't really have a plan per se. I was just kind of doing it. And then I think when things really got real is when the opportunity to make a music video came up because a friend of mine got in contact with somebody who shoots music videos for for some very big artists out of L.A., um that you know people will will have heard of. He heard my song Cost of doing business and he just was like, "Yeah, man, I I I rock with it." And now we're cool like we actually have a relationship. He was willing to to shoot my music video and not like charge me a crazy amount and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of things have kind of fallen into place. Once that kind of started happening, I'm like, "Okay, well, it's time to make an album, time to, you know, it's kind of just one of those one of those uh one of those kinds of things."
1: The videos are excellent. Yeah. I mean, the ones that I've seen and <laughs> The cost of doing business. I love the imagery that you use for mm-hmm. for the words in the song. I love the uh, I love that you're a little kid because you said you were mm-hmm. baptized at nine. You have that little kid signing that contract, right? That lifelong contract mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. nine, at li- like really small. This brother, quote unquote, you know, handing yeah. him the contract. Right. I I was fascinated. It's it's really well done. It's spectacular. I love it.
3: Thank you. Yeah. I was, you know, I was really trying to kind of make the point with the contract is that it's not, it's called baptism, but it looks nothing like what everybody else would normally think of when they think of baptism, right? Like there's, with, with most churches or religions, like baptism doesn't also come with the possibility of like losing everybody. So I wanted to, you know, kind of make that point. That was kind of the major point that I was trying to make. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad it, uh, you know, I actually sat down and wrote up a contract and 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 actually tried to word it in a way that, you know, basically it's it's uh, kind of approximating what happens when you get baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. And, and you know, it seems like it, it really uh, resonated with people and people who weren't familiar with how Jehovah's Witnesses work. They kind of got more of a glimpse into into what actually happens.
1: And when the older kid is ripping up the contract in front of his, his parents, yeah, is that something that happened? I mean, of course you didn't rip up the contract, but is that something that happened that you sat down with your parents uh, that, and, and told them mm-hmm. and they rejected you?
3: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I had to kind of condense, condense things and, and some of it is, you know, a lot of it is symbolic, but yes, basically I, I, I did have a sit down with my parents shortly after I kind of sent them the email. So when I originally sent them the email that I don't believe in it anymore, my dad didn't respond. He just didn't respond. And eventually I just like showed up at the house. I drove like an hour and just showed up. And I just kind of I i, I kind of just told them, you know, I love you guys. But like this is, you know, and I even tried to say, like, keep in mind, I was nine. Like, you know, I, it didn't really matter what you guys were into. I was going to be with it at that age, you know, like. You know, I, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. I was like, I'm I'm not. You realize that, like, if you guys are taking this stand in our relationship because of you guys, our relationship is going to be over. Right. Because I'm not I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come back. Yeah. I don't believe in it. You know, and I even asked my mom, uh, I looked in my mom's eyes and I said, I said, Mom, I have the elders book. Right. I said, if if I want to get reinstated, I can. But I'm telling you right now that if I were to do it, it would be under false pretenses. It would really just be to have a relationship with my family, but I can do it. I know how to do it. And I, I asked her, I said, if I were to get reinstated, even though know, I'm telling you right now that it would be under false pretenses, would you have a relationship with me? And she said, yes, Yeah. She, because she said you know, Jehovah wouldn't allow you in unless, but I'm like, but I'm giving you the answer. I'm giving you the answer right now. Jehovah would, people have done this. And my dad's sitting there. My dad has been an elder for years. And I'm thinking, I'm sure my dad knows that people have played the elders like that before. So he knows better, but my mom doesn't have access to the same information. Right. So I think what happens is sometimes, anyway, she just, I think she's just not aware that that's like something that really happens, you know, so- um anyway so it was basically that was kind of like the very formal face-to-face rejection like like no you know until you come back to jehovah then you know we won't have anything to do with you my dad said that if he and i mentioned this on the leah remedy uh special that i was on then my dad said that if, you know if he ever gets cancer he would you know he would make sure that i found out and that was basically the extent of you know what our relationship would be
1: yeah, it's all about you know? the loopholes man
3: like, right it's
1: all about the loopholes
3: exactly Exactly.
1: It doesn't surprise me that her answer was that at all. Yeah. Could be that that they know very well. It's just your mind plays a trick, you know, yeah, on yeah, you. Yeah. And the organization is about that facade and keeping that, that look. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. kind of what you did when you were talking before about mm-hmm. being able to listen to something that you couldn't listen to, you kind of mm-hmm. adjusted, or how you for a year then listen to rap so you could answer honestly. Right. Kind of like looking for those loopholes, the Jehovah's Witnesses, man. That's, it's all about the loopholes. That's it.
0: When I talk to ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of the stories are the same. Um, mm-hmm. The way we get to the answers are a little different, <laughs> but it's right. always the same, especially the way we lose our family. When you came out and you left the organization mm-hmm. and then you started talking to people that were in the, airport, <laughs> the world, mm-hmm. like, you find it hard to relate because you weren't a part of that for so long.
3: Definitely. Yeah. And I would I would just being honest, I would say I still deal with that to a degree. Just simple things like, yeah, you know, I remember one Christmas this happened. I'm like, well, I, I don't have none of those stories or, you know, um, <laughs> even something as simple as, hey, man, yeah, I was talking to my mom the other day. Like, well, I, I don't have that story either. I, I'm not I haven't talked to my mom in years. You know, you know, I think I think you definitely feel like kind of a disconnect, you know, but it's for me, it's just been a matter of finding things that i could relate to people with you know whether it's music or other interests and things you know things of that nature but yeah definitely like i think you i definitely i I think you definitely kind of feel the uh feel the difference
0: yeah i feel i see that for those that were overzealous that's why i asked that question what type of Jehovah's witness because those that were like living a double life when Mm -hmm. they left it was kind of easy because they had small talk they knew how to small talk like when i Mm -hmm. left I still don't know how to small talk. I've been out like, for, like nine years. Like, I can't really
3: half the shit
1: y'all talking about.
3: Like, right. I didn't have <laughs> Yeah.
1: It does get better, though, with time, mm-hmm. in time. Yeah. I got to say, Cliff, though, when you first came out, I saw you. You see a difference now than then. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you kind of were a little bit more clean cut. I yeah. remember I think you had a picture with your suit, with the tie. And yeah. uh, now I see Fifth with a beard. Right. <laughs> And so the evolution, like you say, it's constant and that's a good thing. And that's the bad thing about being a Joe's witness. There's no Mm -hmm. room for evolution. It's the same regurgitated stuff all the time, the same personality that they want you to have throughout the years. And you can't grow and be different people throughout your lives, which I think is healthy.
3: Absolutely having gone to Bethel, there's certain mannerisms that you pick up from there that even when I was a Jehovah's Witness, people were like, oh, were you at Bethel? And not even in a complimentary way, just kind of like, <laughs> you know, you kind of you have this way of yourself or whatever. So I I think I just kind of accept that like all of that, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or like kind of the hyper level of it being in the headquarters, like that's just, all, you know, it's all part of, I guess, what makes me, you know, me. And But, you know, at the same time, like you said, it's constantly kind of growing and like, evolving and you know even the way that i talk or or different things you know all of that is is changing and you know i think it's fine i think it's i think it's okay to be to have different layers and to you know have different aspects of of yourself you know and i feel like that's just something i've i've come to embrace about myself
0: hey one question were your parents like born and raised in the organization or did they come like later on like how did they get to become
3: joe's business? They they were young. So my mom was uh, baptized as a Catholic when she was a baby, but by the age of seven, she was baptized as a witness. So, you know, something wow. happened in that period that I, you know, obviously I don't, I don't know the whole story and I can't really ask at this point, but, um, but yeah, so she was baptized at seven and she's, you know, consistently been a Jehovah's witness her whole life. Um, and then my father was he wasn't born into it either, but he, um I know he got baptized when he was 17. Um And far as I understand, I think he started studying when he was like 12 or 13 or something like that. Okay. And um, yeah, so I mean, they're, they're basically, you know, basically kind of, kind of raised in it more or less.
0: I always find it fascinating, like how parents are in the organization, how they get into right. it. There are some people I talk to that they remember celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, like, they got convinced, their parents got convinced that this was the truth, like, before the age of information. And I always right. wonder, like, they had Google back then.
3: <laughs>
0: so my witnesses now.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, think things would have been very different. And I think my, my dad, if I'm not mistaken, he got baptized, like, in 1974. So, obviously, you know the significance of that, right? Right yeah. before 1975, so, mm-hmm. something After, that he never uh, talked about. OK, I would, I would have loved yeah. to have like asked him. I mean, but my dad's not the type to ever say anything negative, not even remotely negative about the organization. I literally never heard him say anything. So, you know, that's probably like most witnesses. But yeah, um, I did ask him about it once. I did ask him about 1975 at, at one point, like when I was a teenager and I heard about it at the door for the first time. I heard you know i didn't even know nothing about 1975 and he you know he just didn't really want to discuss it so i think it was just one of those things
0: a lot of people in our the congregation that she was in bought houses mm. bought cars mm. and like went into a lot of debt and then when right. nothing happened mm. you know a lot of things got repo. yeah
3: <laughs> yeah i heard about that too that's pretty wild
0: so the name of the album one years old where can they find yes. the album
3: yeah so it's on it's on all platforms you know it's on apple music it's on um it's on spotify you know you name it it's 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 on every platform
0: all right and if they want to learn yeah. more about you do you have a website instagram
3: yeah so my instagram is official the fifth um uh, all regular spelling official the fifth um uh and then on twitter um i'm official and then the number five and then th so official fifth i have my youtube channel it's just Fifth, F-I-F-T-H. You kind of see a common theme here. Uh, it's basically just my name. So and you can find me there. That's why I have all my music videos and 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 other things. I was just recently interviewed on the radios, and I just put that on my YouTube channel. Check that out. Yeah, I'm out there, and I'm trying to, trying to keep leveling up.
1: Thank you, Cliff. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Cliff, man.
3: Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nobody Asks Us To Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness podcast. Remember, our stories may be varied, but you are not alone. Take off that new personality and create your own.
2: Have a great one. Chasing dreams, man, I'm chasing dreams. Balling like I'm trying to make the team. Balling like we finna make the lead. About to make them believe. This ain't make believe. And I ain't make this up, this shit ain't Maybelline When well, you know where you belong, they can't make you leave I play a cold game like the Maple Leafs yeah. And life's a bitch, but we making peace